Hi friend, it's 2020. If you're anything like me, this year has been hard. Have you had days that feel confusing, disappointing, or just totally overwhelming? Especially in times like these, and really no matter what life stage you're currently in, do you find yourself looking for something real? Do you ever stay up late at night wondering if there's more to this world than the chaos in your social media feed? Maybe like me, you wonder about things like restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. And truth, I am on an imperfect journey of pursuing Jesus Christ and what it looks like to find those things in a relationship with Him. It's a journey I committed to years ago when I dedicated my life to following Christ, and it's a journey I invite friends to explore with me, even if, and honestly, especially if you're just not so sure about Jesus. So for those who are wandering, wondering, skeptical, or just need some encouragement, we all need encouragement these days, don't we? This podcast is for you. Please come along with me as we journey together towards finding something real. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, friends. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And I am very excited about the conversations we've been having about deep faith questions, things that maybe you've wrestled with, and I definitely have. And today we're going to be tackling a topic that is tender to my own heart because it's something that I have, um, I've definitely uh, wrestled with. And so before we talk about that, I shout out to RZIM real quick, because uh, today's guest is as well, an itinerant speaker for them. And I have been overly impressed, not just with um, the amount of research and intelligence and (laughs) just amazing things that they are doing, but especially by their love and their kindness. And so, um, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there before I introduce today's guest, who is a real treat to talk to and have on this program. Um, His name is Casey Leander previously a fellow with the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. He has a degree in history and politics, philosophy, and economics. (laughs) He's way smarter than me. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. He has worked um, briefly in politics, serving as an intern in the U.S. Senate in Washington, D.C. While living in Boston, he spoke for events at universities, including MIT, Harvard, Brown, Yale, Boston University, and Boston College Law. He has spoken widely on the philosophical underpinnings of popular culture, the need for God and moral reasoning, and the historical credibility of the Christian message. He's originally from Colorado, and I don't know if I'm supposed to share this, but he loves the mountains, food trucks, and spectacular views. That, that all sounds pretty great. So welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast, Casey. Thanks, Janelle. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get teased about that line that I put in my official bio where I said, I harbor a love of mountains. <laughs> People were like, wow, that's really poetic language. I was So anyway, whatever. I did change that up a little bit. I thought, ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, it's a delight to be here. And uh, thanks for those kind words about RZIM. I mean, I feel incredibly privileged. I feel like a huge imposter actually being a part of uh, such an incredible team. And I love that you've already uh, gotten to interact with several of my friends and Mm -hmm. colleagues. So um, yeah, it it really is a privilege being a part of that team that uh, our goal is to help the thinker believe and the believer think. And I'm inspired by the people I work with (laughs) every day. So um, wow, wow. 
that are, yeah. Yeah, it's been an incredible privilege just to watch from afar. And then I feel like an imposter as well, to be honest, when I interview you guys, because I think, in fact, <laughs> I shouldn't confess this on the podcast, but I might. <laughs> the other day, I called up uh, your office in uh, Atlanta and I said, um, you know, I, I, I'm just a nobody. <laughs> just, I hope it's okay that I have these guys on. And uh, just was met with incredible grace and like I said love and so it is my honor and privilege to be able to share your words and the things that God has uh, laid on your heart but um, before we begin today's tough uh, conversation I, I, I mean I think it's tough um, tell me a little bit about your story how did you end up with RZIM yeah oh man it's a fun story so I went to Taylor University where I took a nibble out of a bunch of different subjects rather than just picking one I, I just i literally took a little sandwich sized bite out of each politics philosophy economics and history and so i did that you know having a firm faith um but you know i thought before i go into some kind of career in any one of those disciplines i really want to make sure that i have a grounding in actually being able to articulate the ways that my faith impacts those big sort of public questions you know surrounding history politics. And so I heard about the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. Um, so I went out there actually with a very dear friend of mine, who's now my colleague with RZIM, and, uh, and studied for a year at, uh, at Oxford, or at ACA, the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. Uh, and so I had the privilege of, of getting connected with the team in that way. Uh, and immediately following that, was hired by RZIM, me and my, my buddy, and we were sent to uh, Boston, Massachusetts, where we lived for a couple years. Uh, and, and had as many conversations with as many college-age students as we could, um, just about life and faith and their tough questions around Christianity. So that's, in a nutshell, that's my story with, with RZIM. But, you know, I, I really credit my parents with uh, instilling a love of the truth in me from, a, from an early age. Um, when I was 13, my dad sat me down and he just went, look, this is like just classic my dad. He's just like, look, son, like... Um, you already know, hopefully, that your mom and I love Jesus. Like, hopefully that's been obvious after 13 years living under our roof. But, he said, if you were thinking about loving and following Jesus just because mm -hmm. we love and follow Jesus, don't even think about it. <laughs> I was like, what? Dad, what the heck? He was like, yep, you're not allowed. Um, <laughs> And yeah, and so you have to, he's like, you have to do your own research. You have to come to your own conclusions about this. God has no grandchildren. You're not a Christian just because you're in church any more than you're a car, uh, just because you're in a garage. And um, he really so kind of kindled that fire under me and, and also just gave me the freedom of what I would just say is unconditional love, that they were going to love me no matter what I went out and, and ended up deciding. And, and, um, at age 13, that felt massively overwhelming, but it's proven a really good foundation. And I, I feel like God, the God of the Bible, has really met me in that journey and in that search for truth. Uh, and so now I'm, I'm more convinced than I've ever been that he is who he says he is uh, in, in the Bible. And, and I love having that conversation, in particular, people who don't agree with me, because I, I just think it's fun. And, and there's nothing more important that we could spend our time talking about. Yeah. Do you have siblings? Did they get the same talk? Yeah, I have two younger sisters. And so uh, they probably didn't need the same talk quite as much because they'd, they'd seen me. I was always like kind of the hard-headed one anyway. 
And so, uh, but no, yeah, I mean, that, that's been their upbringing as well. And, um, and, and yeah, they're both fierce and, and uh, strong women who, uh, like, I love having this conversation with them as well. So, um, mm. but yeah, it's kind of the vanguard, you know, oldest kids, right? They, they get all the experimental uh, treatments for the guinea pigs. So, yeah, um, anyway. it's, it's funny. Uh, my 11 year old son, he is my, he's my oldest and we have four kids. Mm. And he told me a few months ago, um, this is probably at the end of 2019 or 20, early 2020 before all the crazy happened. And um, w- late one night he was telling me, he said, uh, mommy, I, I have all these questions about my faith, about, about Jesus, you know? And it was almost a shame. And I remember as a kid feeling the same way, like, oh my gosh, is it okay that I have all these questions? Um, and so we, we started listening to a guy out of the UK. You're probably familiar with him, Justin Brierley. I love Justin Brierley. <laughs> and so my son and I, we started listening and at 11 years old, my Caleb, he's like, oh my gosh, I love this. And we ended up inviting Justin on. And so he was on the podcast um, that it will air before this one. Um, but it's just such a great thing. <laughs> know. Isn't that cool? But uh, he, yeah, I-, I love that idea of, hey, you need to figure this out for yourself and it's okay. And I've never heard it quite said like that before, Casey. I might uh, borrow that from the future <laughs> conversations, but God has no grand- grandchildren. It's Fantastic. Uh, and so true. Um, I'm going to ask you this question too. It's not on my list, but I just want to know. <laughs> so long-term, uh, where do you see yourself? Are you thinking you'll go back to the UK or will you stay over here um, in terms of ministry? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I've loved traveling overseas, um, uh, but y- yeah, I, I probably picture myself staying more domestic, but um, my interest, uh, is still in questions of history. Um, mm. but I, you know, I feel like there's not a topic we can, we can study or learn or speak about where apologetics doesn't, um, undergird it. And so, yeah, my heart is really <clears throat> down the road and, you know, God alone knows the timing of all this, but really to study more of some of those political and, and historical questions, um, and be able to speak to those from a Christian worldview. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. In terms of, that's really a non-answer, but in terms of domestic, international, I don't know. I'll go where the yeah. wind blows. Oh, I love it. And maybe, uh, you know, depending on <laughs> your experience today, maybe I'll have you back on to answer one of those history or political questions because God knows we need help <laughs> in those areas too. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. yeah. Well, t- today's question is actually birthed from, like I said, some things that I've wrestled with. And I know I've heard it um, as an exchange uh, parent to to different people, you know, uh, with different worldviews. Um, This question does come up quite a bit. I I guess one of the things I thought I'd pull out is a quote by uh, a very famous atheist named Richard Dawkins. Um, I will try to quote this um, infamous thing, (laughs) uh, knowing that I'm going to get some of the words wrong here. But Richard Dawkins said, and I believe he wrote it in The God Delusion, um, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, I don't don't even know how to pronounce that, uh, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistical, uh, capriciously 
uh, malevolent bully. And I think you got the gist of that. Um, so before I ask the actual question, following up on that um, very uh, merciless uh, summary there, I um, want to openly share, as I did earlier, uh, that this topic that we're set to talk about is something that I've wrestled with. I'm not an academic at all. And um, I guess I'll put it in this context. I grew up in a very Christian environment. As a little girl, I went to church like three times a week, asked Jesus into my heart dozens of times as a kid just to make sure it stuck. Um, I was in love with Jesus Christ. I responded to the love of God in him and so grateful for that love. Um, I memorized the Bible verses that they taught me at church and at home about God's deep love and salvation for all people. Um, and I know, even now as an adult, that God is love, that he's perfectly loving. Um, I believe he's sovereign uh, over this world. But um, then I've had times in my life, especially in times where, uh, you know, certain things happen. You know, uh, I, I remember a very personal time when my husband and I were struggling with miscarriage where I wrestled with faith. And I've stopped to think about things that I've read in the Bible because I've started, you know, reading through scripture, which is what, you know, they recommend you do. <laughs> so I read through the actual words of Genesis and I hear about the flood, how just one family was saved and then the rest were wiped off the earth, which, okay, the Bible's clear there was wickedness, but I wonder were there babies there? And I've read the, all the Old Testament. And there is a lot in there that can feel a lot less than loving. Um, for example, the story of the Exodus, where it repeatedly says that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And as a result of that hardening, Pharaoh would not let the Israelites go. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> the plague and the angel of death and all these different things. And there's lots of examples in uh, the books of Moses that are very similar so for me personally, I've settled on this idea that there are some things that I may never understand this side of heaven, and I want to be a woman of deep faith and love uh, for Christ and for the Father. But every time I read the Old Testament in the back of my mind, some of these issues still come up once in a while. So my big, deep faith question that I really would love to have a conversation or just hear what you have to say about uh, from, from you is the God of the Bible a sadistic father who hates some, but loves others? Wow. Yeah, man, what a huge question. Um, and Janelle, thanks just for your honesty in bringing that. I mean, I think as Christians, we do need to be honest that, that uh, a lot of us deal with this question. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in some ways, you know, we should. The, the Old Testament is intimidating to us. Uh, it challenges us. Um, and in some ways, it's actually meant to. Uh, it's meant to challenge us. Um, and so, but just first to say, I, I really thank you for that honesty and that openness. And, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to dive in. And, and even that Dawkins quote, you know, I lived um, probably a block or I think maybe even two blocks away from where Richard Dawkins uh, also lived in Oxford. And I also uh -huh. kind of, I would kind of daydream about running into him on the sidewalk. And, you know, what, what would I say to Professor Dawkins? Because, you know, I've read his book, The Blind Watchmaker, and, um, and was fascinated by it. I mean, he's a compelling writer and a, a very keen intellect. And, mm -hmm. you know, when he writes those things, I mean, so much of The Blind Watchmaker is just him 
reveling in the beauty of the world that we live in and, and the complexity of animal life. And he, in some ways, is, uh, is willing to be intellectually honest um, with, you know, even challenges to his own view of evolution. In other ways, I wonder if some of that's dissipated with age and sort of the battle-hardened, you know, mentality. He is, first and foremost, a, you know, kind of a, a, a war dog. You know, he's out there ready to to engage in polemics, but, but I have, I actually have a lot of respect for Professor Dawkins. And so I, you know, I wondered what I would say to him. Uh, and I wonder if anyone ever sat down with him and, and asked the, the questions you are asking. And so I just, yeah, first wanted to just start on that and say, it's right for us to ask these questions. Uh, mm -hmm. God's not intimidated by our questions and by our doubts, right? God is big enough to take care of himself. And so that at the end of the day, our decision is whether or not we, we choose to uh, press in, in relationship and, and to accept the things he says, um, even if, even if they don't make sense or, or even find ways that maybe they make sense where we weren't aware of. Right. Or if we're going to say, okay, you know what, that's too much, God, I'm out. I'm going to take this on my own terms. Um, and so yeah, I mean, if it's okay, I'd love to just dive into, you know, as I was prepping for this, yeah. I think there's a few considerations that we can raise around the Old Testament uh, that are, that are going to be very helpful for those of us who, who, who wrestle with this and go through seasons of this. Uh, and those, those three, like, rough headers are, uh, there's theological considerations, there's historical considerations as we, as we look at some of, the, uh, the, some of the stories in Scripture, and then there's literary considerations when we ask, what are the authors of scripture trying to tell us about God when they write down these stories? Hmm. Um, so that's a lot of content, but I'd love to just dip into all three of those if it's okay. So, of course. But real quick, I want to ask, cause you kind of left a cliffhanger there. Did you ever run into Dawkins? I did not. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I do I know not. Justin Brierly had him on his program a couple of times. So maybe he got a little bit of it. I don't know. I haven't watched him. That's why Justin Brierly is my hero because he, <laughs> loves these conversations and Justin's not afraid to go there. So no. Justin, if you're listening, you're my hero, have me on your show. It'd be great. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but um, yeah. So unfortunately I, I never was able to connect with the, with the good professor, but I always kept my eyes peeled as I was walking the uh, streets of North Oxford there. Mm. Okay. Yes. I do want you to dive into this question. I want to hear all the things. <laughs> I so wish I had a better answer to that uh, question, Janelle. That's all right. Maybe one day you will. Who knows? You know, anyway. Yeah. I think though, in that vein, you know, if, if I had managed to sit down with Professor Dawkins, I think some of the things I would want to start with are those theological considerations, because the question you're asking is, what is God like? Mm -hmm. what, what is God actually like? It's a question about his character. If we don't trust the character of God, then why, why would we follow him? Right. And so and so that would be the big heading I'd want to put these under. Um, but I'd, I'd want to also then it quickly move on to saying something like this. Love necessitates anger at injustice. Mm. You mentioned how God is loved um, and what a beautiful passage of scripture that is, uh, especially in the New Testament, where that's reiterated in First John. Um, uh, and, I, and I think that's a sentiment reflected throughout scripture. But the thing about love is it's not neutral towards harm being done to the beloved. Love necessitates anger at injustice. Uh, there's a quote from Miroslav Volf, Croatian theologian. 
And he says this, though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, I came to think that I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. Hmm. And by way of illustration, uh, Wolf talks about the Rwandan genocide, where it's a mind-boggling number, as many as 800,000 people were hacked to death in about 100 days. Hmm. And, and, and Wolf asked the question, how did God respond while that was going on? While he's watching his creation slaughter each other, how does God respond? And it's not by doting on the perpetrators in a grandparently fashion. And it wasn't refusing to condemn the bloodbath and just kind of being neutral. No, Wolf says, wasn't God fiercely angry with them? And so I think that's where we need to start. Um, uh, there's so much scripture that speaks to this. Uh, I'm, I mean, in particular, Jeremiah 22 uh, stuck out to me. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless or the widow, nor shed, shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates kings who will sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. So he's talking to his people Israel there in Jeremiah. Uh, but God loves justice because he loves his creation. Um, now, here's the trick with that, though. We like to think that we're on the winning side of that equation. <laughs> we think, great. I love that God hates injustice. That's wonderful. Like, and we're like, bravo. But we don't realize that we are on the wrong end of that, of that mm -hmm. situation, of that scenario. We think we're going to play football and we line up on the line of scrimmage and we're going to look to our right and there's God lining up with us. Actually, the status of the human heart by default in a fallen world where, where, we, where we love evil is that God is looking across from us at the line of scrimmage. Um, and so, so that should humble all of us as we approach some of these questions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but the basic principle there, right? Um, love necessitates anger at injustice. But then I think when we press into the, the, um, the narrative of scripture, we see something else emerge. And, and actually, I want to use exclusively Old Testament for this. Because you can't read the Old Testament without coming away with the idea that God is overwhelmingly quick to mercy. Hmm. Even though we're all, all of us are on the wrong side of that equation, we, we get verses like Ezekiel 33, 11, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? I mean, we have an entire book, the book of Jonah, which should be our, our starting off place when we talk about the character of the God of the Old Testament. What's the story of Jonah? God says to a Jewish prophet, Jonah, Jonah, go preach to the people of Nineveh because their, their evil has actually come up before me in heaven, right? It's time actually that they face some kind of judgment. So go and warn them. And we all know the story. Jonah's like, uh, heck no. You know, and he like gets eaten by the fish and he gets thrown overboard by the sailors and he gets barfed out. And if you've seen the veggie tales, <laughs> Uh, maybe there's a lot more steps that happen in there, but eventually Jonah does, and he gives probably the most lackluster sermon. You know, you can just picture him hoping 
that no one in Nineveh listens to his words, that they don't actually repent. So he gives the weakest sermon ever. <laughs> and the entire city turns around and repents in, with sackcloth and ashes. And the, and the king himself tears his robes. And they turn back to the Lord. And then this is where we stop that we think that's the end of the story. It's not. Jonah then goes up and he exemplifies, if we're being honest, our attitude nine times out of 10 towards our enemies. And he sits and he waits for God to like, surely now, Lord, you rain down the fire and brimstone that we're all waiting for. And when God doesn't do it, Jonah's objection to the character of God is this. Isn't this what I said would happen, Lord, while I was still at home? Isn't this, why, isn't this why I tried to go to Tarshish? Because I knew, and this is his exact word, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, God, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. It's like Jonah is so upset at how gracious and compassionate God is. And God's question back to Jonah is, is it right for you to be angry? Yeah. So, so from a theological perspective, the God of the Old Testament is, is slow to anger. He, he without exception, is, will forgive those who repent and seek his face. That is, in fact, the narrative of Scripture. That's, mm -hmm. the, that's the reason why all the prophets preach their doom and gloom. Right. I'm thinking about what about Pharaoh, um, where it's very clear that God uh, hardened his heart. Um, right. Because that's always felt like a little bit of a discrepancy to me. Like, you know, right. uh, why Pharaoh, why didn't Pharaoh get a chance to repent? Maybe he did and he lost his chance. I don't know. Anyway, all those things. What do you say about Pharaoh? Mm, man. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the question of Pharaoh Right, because God does demonstrate, and in no uncertain terms, he says, I raised Pharaoh up for this reason, to show my glory, mm -hmm. right? What's interesting, though, I think, is when we pay close attention to the text, um, because the first couple of times Moses goes and petitions Pharaoh, let my people go, uh, it says that Pharaoh himself rejects Moses' plea there, mm -hmm. and only after, the, you know, four or five times, I don't know the exact number, but only after that, then it says that God hardens his heart. And this includes uh, incidents where Pharaoh says, okay, you can go. And then he's like, you know what, JK, never mind. Right? <laughs> and Pharaoh is experiencing supernatural plagues that can only come from Yahweh, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and the first, we're, we're meant to, we're led to believe from the biblical narrative that Pharaoh just won't. He just hardens his heart, right? And then you're right. You're exactly right. After a time, God says, okay, um, now I'm going to harden your heart. And, and actually the big literary principle there, and, and this is why the Old Testament is so rich. Um, so, so immediate context, you remember that, that Pharaoh um, was the one who ordered that all the Hebrew boys uh, be killed. If it's a male child, he told the midwives to kill them if it's a female child, to let them live. And so he actually, he initiated that cycle of bloodshed and of, and of killing the, the male Israelite children. And so there's actually a bit of a, a, a justice there that God says, okay, at, now at this point, I'm going to take the firstborn of, of Egypt. Mm -hmm. um, but there's bigger themes at play too, right? The Old Testament is never merely just a story. And, and it's incredible to think all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant where God says, um, 
I'll bless all nations through you. And, and even farther back to, to the offspring of the woman, right? So actually the Old Testament is a story of offspring. The Old Testament is the story of tracing the, the line, the seed of the woman, right? All the way down through the ages, through Abraham, through Pharaoh. And, and actually we see that the idea of the firstborn child is of massive importance. It's the unifying thread that, that pulls the, the stories of the patriarchs together, right? Is that that firstborn child is so important. So you're looking at, actually, you're bringing up Jesus, right? And we can get to the Jonah in a minute, but it's fascinating <laughs> to me that in Pharaoh, down the road, when it comes to our eternal salvation, God's plan was always for him to give his firstborn son for the salvation, not just of Israel, but of the entire world right? Mm -hmm. Egyptians included, Canaanites included, Philistines included. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a point to be made there about God doesn't play favorites. And that also is explicit from his own words in scripture. So, um, I don't know if that, if that sort of gets to some of that question you had around Pharaoh, if you want to ask yeah, if there's any no, follow-up. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Um, yeah, like I said, my, my husband and I, a few years ago, we just felt really convicted, like, you know what, uh, we need to read through the entire Bible. And so we did. And now we're reading through again, and we're in Exodus. And it brings up a lot of these questions, because um, if you're just reading, you know, one chapter a day, you're thinking, um, <laughs> what did I just read? I don't know. And um, instead of seeing the bigger picture. Um, and obviously we have the benefit of, of knowing the gospel and that it does come to good news, but I will say, um, what she just said about firstborn sons is so true, but God constantly, uh, at least my understanding of scripture is breaking, um, or is allowing like, uh, grace and things to be different. Like, um, you know, we're reading about, um, is it Ephraim and Manasseh? Is that the two that were switched. There's a yes. bunch like that, right? Joseph Jacob and Esau. Yet, mm -hmm. <laughs> like he constantly, um, it, it keeps changing. And so there's grace in the midst of all of this and what you're saying about um, God being merciful and longing for people to come to him. I totally agree. But then I also read stuff, you know, about Pharaoh and I think, ah, so I appreciate what you just said. I think it makes sense. Um, it still is hard. I remember um, watching, I think it was Francis Chan and David, uh, I can't remember, David Platt probably. And they were talking about um, coming to God and it was a YouTube video. And uh, one of the things they did were they were talking about, you know, God's up here and we're down here. And if we swap it, if we think we're above God and we're judging him instead of him judging us, we've got it all wrong. <laughs> and so that's really helped me in my own faith. But I, I do like talking through these things and just sharing them because I know that there's people who, like me, have wrestled and have a lot of questions. And even some people who aren't wrestling but think, yeah, I would never come to a God who, um, you know, would do those kind of things. So. I would love yeah. for you to share more about Jesus because that is our hope. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Well, and I don't want to sugarcoat it either, Janelle. I mean, I mean, part of it is that the Old Testament is meant to challenge us. And, it, and, it, and as 21st century Americans and Westerners broadly, it's going to challenge a few of our core cultural narratives that we believe not on the basis of scripture, but on the basis of culture. Um, mm -hmm. And three of those come to my mind. One, we think that we're individuals first and foremost 
and that our actions don't impact the people to the left and the right of us or the people who come before and after us. Yeah. And, it, and it's clear from, from especially an ancient Near Eastern perspective that yes, God does see us as individuals, which is crazy for their culture, right? That's where God pushed against their culture. But actually for us to realize that he also sees us as, as, as entities, as families, as neighbors, as nations, as civilizations. And so when he's going to deal with us, our, I, I firmly believe as a believer in Jesus, that our salvation is like we were saying at the very beginning, God has no grandchildren. My salvation is determined on how I respond to the, to what God has revealed to me. Right. Um, and, and, and that's Jesus, like his one and only son. There's no other name uh, by which we're saved. So my individual salvation, but, but the way God deals with us as, as nations is, is in a national context. And that's something that really rubs the wrong way against our cultural assumptions where we think, well, yeah, we're just individuals. Um, it challenges, like you were saying, the ideal that, that, that we're supreme over our own morality and that we don't have to answer to anyone for our actions. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and it challenges, I think, mostly in my heart, the idea that life is a game. Um, uh, we are all going to have to stand before the judge. The, the question isn't if, but when. Mm. And so in light of that, it's like, it's like when God, yeah, I mean, it, it should challenge us in some ways. And I'm not, I'm not trying to blunt the edge of some of the difficulty there, but, but I, I do, I have a conviction that I think that's why that old, some of these Old Testament stories are there and why Jesus affirms them and their story because, because they're actually meant to uh, challenge and humble us in a lot of ways. So. Hmm. So good. Well, Another question I wasn't going to ask you, but I'll just throw it out there. <laughs> you can okay. talk about whatever you want. <laughs> um, I've had a couple uh, different perspectives shared on this podcast. Um, one by a pastor named Josh White in Portland. Um, and I, I loved our conversation. Um, anyway, he was talking about the character of God. And he was saying, justice is not who he is. Justice serves his love. Uh, who he is, is love. And um, it, it was this beautiful, like I could kind of uh, connected to this conversation. I could see like, wow, you know, it is about love. Like what you were saying at the beginning about there is no love without justice. You know, you can see that right now with what's going on in the United States with racial injustice. I mean, you know what, we need justice as well as we need love. But I loved the concept of this serves the love of God. And, you know, he went on to talk about a love that we don't really fully understand because it's grace. But then I also had a friend on here who was talking, um, he's done a lot of research and he said, well, the Bible says that he is just, he is this, he's all this, and you can't elevate one thing over the other. You can't yeah. put love higher than all the others. Um, and I disagreed with him. I said, well, I think you can put love higher than all the others because for God so loved the world that he sent his son. Um, I would just be curious uh, if you wanted to weigh in on that um, because it's an interesting concept and I don't know if the two of them sat down together, um, my friend John Dommel, um and Josh White, I don't know that they would fully disagree that much, but I, I felt more comfort, I guess, knowing like it, it is about his love ultimately, um, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Well, I love that question, actually, Janelle. I love it. And in fact, um, my, my dear friend and colleague, Amy Orewing, recently said something that stuck with me. She said, there is life in the universe because there is love. Mm -hmm. 
that the, that God who's in relationship with with himself in the form of the Trinity and the three persons of the Trinity creates out of the superabundance of of life giving relationship more creatures and more entities and humanity. So there's life in the universe because there is love. And so one thing I'll just say is that we will never be at risk of devaluing or undervaluing how loving God is. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like we are Jonah. We're sitting there <laughs> like, God, why don't you smite my enemies? You know? Yeah. And that's true in the tolerant West. Like, look at our society. Look how yeah. absolutely savage we are towards each other right now. And this is the society that's supposedly built on a virtue of tolerance. <laughs> um, yeah. I wish we'd have more tolerance. I, I think God is more tolerant than we are um, in the truest sense of that definition, right? And so, so I don't think we'll ever undervalue God's love. The minute you think, yeah, I basically, I think I've, I've reached the end of the things God's willing to do for me or, 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 or the, the, the way he sees me as someone precious in his sight. You know, it's like, you're wrong, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so if, if, what, if that's what we mean when we say, that God's love is superior to his other, um, his other character attributes. I think we're right. But to, truth be told, you know, I actually think the closer we look, the more we'll find that there's not a, there's not a crossing of the wires between real love and real justice. Hmm. We are always going to get that wrong. Hmm. We will always opt for what we perceive to be more loving uh, at the expense of, for example, telling the truth to someone or we'll err on the side of, too much truth at the expense of what we perceive to be loving to them. But I actually think those will always be in harmony that at the center of the universe, telling the truth is always the most loving thing you can do to someone and vice versa. We ought never tell someone the truth unless it's done from a place of love and concern for them. Hmm. And that's why first Corinthians 13 says, love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And so in my mind, and I, yeah, I know like thousands of trees have given their lives uh, trying to answer this question, right? It's just volumes have been written. <laughs> but yeah, in my, in my two cents layman's opinion, I just, I think his love and his justice are never truly at conflict. Mm -hmm. um, and if we were omnipotent and omniscient, then we, like God, might have a chance at understanding the in intricacies of how that plays out. But but in our limited capacity, we're always going to get that question wrong, more or less. So for the person who's listening to this right now, who is sitting there going, why would I come to this God who, okay, you're saying he's loving, but is he really? And all this crazy stuff has happened in the Old Testament, and I'd have to do all this reading and research to figure out, like, why, why come to God? Oh man, what a question. Because he is the creator and sustainer of everything. And there's no life apart from him. And 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 yeah, I would want whoever you're whoever's asking that question to just know that that sometimes we put ourselves in these camps, right? Like like I'm a Christian so I get it. And I just would want to say that no, like like I'm continually refreshed and surprised as the walls around my heart callous over and God has to like break in there and, and renew actually my, the tenderness in, in my own heart and my own spirit. And my warning would be that detach from 
the source, the originator, the one who invented friendship and family and laughter and light and connection and love and adventure, right? Detached from him, even the thing that we're claiming to love more than him will eventually backfire on us. And so I think we see that in the narrative of scripture too. I mean, what's Jesus's um, main critique of the Pharisees? You know, the Pharisees, we give them such a hard time. But truthfully, if we were first century Jews, we'd be rooting for them. Mm -hmm. You think about Israel crushed under the boot of imperial Rome. Who's our hero in that situation? It's the Pharisees. They're standing up for us. They love God's purity and his justice so much that they will never compromise on it, right? But Jesus says, your whitewashed tombs, the, the, the calluses on your hearts are so thick that you've, you've, you've tithed even a tenth of your spices, but you've neglected the weightier things of the law, justice and mercy. And Jesus is like trying to shake them and go, look at me. I'm, I'm the Messiah. I'm, I'm the son of David. I'm the root of Jesse. I'm the one you're waiting for who's going to deliver you from Rome. Now, now look to me and let those walls come down and like learn to love mercy again, right? That the Pharisees thought that Jesus was getting it wrong. And, and the thing that they claimed to love, they ultimately betrayed their stance on behalf of Israel, which is what they were trying to do by, by opposing Jesus. They end up betraying the, the offspring of the woman promised in Genesis, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. They betrayed the very thing they wanted to love. And so I see that in our culture now. We think we're so tolerant, but in the name of tolerance, who are you willing to demonize? Mm -hmm. We think we're so loving, but, but how many friends are we actually letting do harmful things without speaking up about it? Because we actually care more about what they think about us. And so I would say if we have any hope of like cutting through the fog, it's going to be in relationship to the God who made us, who sees clearly right? Um, like it says, I think in the book of Job, will not the judge of the earth do what is right? Um, last thing, I know I like to talk. <laughs> I love it. It's great. But the, la the last thing I would just say is this, to, to especially someone who's wrestling with this and grappling with this, I would just say, man, I've been there. And, and, and more than that, every character in the Bible has been where you're at. Like, like it's not a hall of fame for heroes who just get it right all the time. <laughs> like and and that's actually the point i used to hate the scriptures where people doubt and question god but actually what i've come to realize is that god leaves those in scripture so that we have a model and you will see never once does god turn someone away when they're earnestly seeking his face even if there's wrestling and anger and raw emotions there i mean think about jacob right mm -hmm. this angel who you know who's like a uh, um I forget the theological term, but, but basically like represents the most high, right? Comes into his uh, a theophany. I think that's the word. This angel enters the tent of Jacob and Jacob goes, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And he wrestles with, with God. And God actually says, now I'm going to give you a new name. You're no longer Jacob. Now you're Israel, which literally means one who wrestles with God. Hmm. So, I mean, that should blow our minds in terms of what the God who created the universe wants from us. He wants honesty and authenticity. When these challenges come up, he wants us to pour out our hearts to him. Even if there's anger involved, he already sees it. He already knows. He's not shocked. 
He's not disappointed. And actually the richness of the love of the God who would die for his enemies is going to be demonstrated when he lets us come to him with actually the burdens and the cares on our hearts. He actually wants those from you. Yeah, it's so true. Um, Jeremiah 29, 13 is what I think of when I, uh, you know, get on here to do this podcast, you know, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all Mm -hmm. your heart. And, um, it is true, you know, over and over again in scripture, God says that, you know, that he, he's not far from us, you know, he desires relationship with us and, um, he's so faithful. Um, do you have any resources or scriptures or anything that's helped you as you've wrestled with those questions? Um, anything that you could recommend to someone listening? Yeah. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. I mean, one book, actually I grabbed it, um, would be Paul Copan wrote a book called is God a moral monster. Oh. Um, so that's a good, I mean, he really goes at it right on the nose. Um, uh, and Paul's a friend and I really, I, I appreciate what he's written in that book. Um, I would point you to, if you have questions about the Old Testament, one of my colleagues, uh, her name is Dr. Joe Vitale. Um, she's an Oxford PhD in women in the Old Testament. Um, and her research and her uh, content is fascinating. So I would look up her content specifically on women in the Old Testament um, and God's heart for them. Um, and then just really practically, like if you're looking for something to read, I would, I just read this this morning and I I do, I do wonder if, if this was for a reason, I I would encourage you to read Isaiah chapter 55. Hmm. Start from the beginning. It starts like this. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And that chapter ends with God basically saying, He's going to make a house for his name among all peoples. And, he, and, and he does, he's not going to play favorites. You know, all people are welcome to come to him. And, and that's strictly, again, from the Old Testament. Um, so that's his heart. That's a great place to start. Uh, yeah. Love it. Love it. And um, Joe and Vince Vitale, they host a podcast, don't they, where they yeah. wrestle with a lot of those questions? Yep. Do you know? the name of the podcast? Yes. Yeah. That's called ask away. Uh, and yeah, I would highly recommend that as well. Yeah. Very cool. And if people want to know more about you, Casey, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram. Um, uh, yeah, so that, that'd be a good place. Um, yeah. If you go to our RCM website, sometimes you'll see like upcoming, uh, talks and appearances. So, uh, but you'll find apologists of a way higher caliber than me on there. So I would just direct you to our website anyway. Um, another resource we have to offer is called RZIM connect. And it's basically like uh, the way I've put it is it's like the Reddit of Christian apologetics. So, um, there are believers on there. Uh, it's a community of people really who care about answering these tough questions. And so you can ask in real time. Often our speaking team are on there just like ready to answer questions as well. So, um, so I put that resource out there for your consideration. Well, I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds really cool. Um, no, Casey, you've been fantastic and you've definitely given me some things to think about. I'm going to have to re-listen to this episode myself. (laughs) Um, I do ask a final question of all my guests and it's this, the finding something real podcast. It's about a journey towards restoration or redemption, eternity, authenticity, and love. Those are all things that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, which of those things? restoration or redemption 
eternity, authenticity, and love, which of those things stands out to you the most in your life right now and why? Well, that's a great question. Uh, and by the way, I love your uh, podcast title. I think that's so good. <laughs> I couldn't decide on an acronym that represented restoration and redemption. I couldn't decide on those two things. So I just went with real. Just make it with two R's. We're real. Yeah, I mean, that's such a good question. You know, I think recently, Janelle, eternity has been um, really impactful for me. Um, you know, and I think it, it matters in particular in relation to the Old Testament that we're talking about, that, that God's plan was never just to create a world that goes horribly wrong because people choose sin and then leave us there. Like even in all of his dealings with nations in the Old Testament, his plan is always for an eternity where every tribe, nation, and tongue comes and, and, and is united and in fellowship and harmony. And we spend an eternity doing the types of things we were made to do. Um, and that blows my mind. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, maybe just any of your listeners, if you've never spent a significant, you know, it's like, it's, it's intimidating to think about eternity. And most of us prefer to just distract ourselves as much as we can, you know, but if you haven't uh, done some honest thinking about eternity, I just challenge you to do that. And your conclusions might be different than mine. Um, and, and maybe yours too, Janelle, right? Like your listeners might come to a different conclusion than you and I have about this stuff, but I would at least rather have the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, because I think it's rich with meaning. And I think our Christian hope of eternity fills our lives now with so much richness and depth and meaning, in particular during challenging circumstances, COVID, uh, a horrific presidential election coming up, you know, buckle up because it's going to be bad. So, <laughs> uh, you know, if you do have a background in politics, <laughs> um, what what's the christian response to all this what what would you suggest oh, um, it's so hard yeah. it's so hard no, no it, yeah i so appreciate that question i mean i mean again I, i'm blown away when i read the gospels because we think like oh no jesus what would you even say to our current political climate and the truth is he said it like he said it to a climate that was even harsher than ours right I think about how Jesus had both Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot following <laughs> him around Judea. I mean, if Jesus had not been in these guys' lives, there's a very real chance that they could have ended up killing each other. Mm. That's not out of the question. And, and their concerns were both motivated by very real things that they saw in the world. Right. We know that the zealots were looking again, like we said, at imperial Rome and, and Jesus nowhere says, hey, oppression is cool. Like imperialism is great. I'm cool with it. Absolutely not. Right. He hates it. But actually his message and he says this before the Roman magistrate who's trying him, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. And so I'm just convinced to know that that until we get our priorities right, that we value the kingdom of God and his righteousness we won't get being a good citizen of the United States right. And so really, really practically, what's the litmus test for me? How well do I speak to the people who disagree with me? Mm -hmm. If I get so frustrated at someone because, and I, you know, I can, I'm very deeply pro-life, for example. 
um, I, I, I have a large degree of concern for the unborn. Yeah. Um, and yet, if I'm talking to someone who's pro-choice, how am I treating them? Mm-hmm. Um, am I compassionate towards them, just like God is compassionate towards me? Am I humble in saying that, look, this is how I see the world. It's not that I'm morally superior to you, but it's just that we can't back away from truths like this. Am I gracious, like it says in James, willing to reason, slow to speak, slow to become angry, right? And if I see the fruit of, my spirit, of, of God's spirit in my life there, then, then that's a better indication that, that my, my priorities are where they should be on the kingdom of God. Um, and, and in doing that, I can hold my convictions with integrity and also love my neighbor just like I love myself and, and actually have political conversations where, and, and by the grace of God, I've had one or two of these. They don't all go this way, but I've, <laughs> I've had more of these and I pray for more. Where actually a, a healthy political clash happens and I walk away with a big hug and a huge smile for actually you know, one of my friends who like really disagrees. Mm. Um, so that's my best yeah. advice, but just, yeah, pray. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pray. a lot of oh. prayer. I think it's never been more clear than now uh, that really our dependency and our hope and our eternity really depend on the maker of the universe and not on yeah. our president or our government, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, uh, Casey, Leander, thank you so much for coming on this program. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. And I'm excited to see the things that God continues to do through you and through RZIM. So thank you so much. Thanks so much, Janelle. All right. Thank you, friend, for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is a grace-filled, Christ-centered podcast for those who are wandering, wondering, or simply needing to be encouraged in their faith journeys. I hope you'll come back next week when I'll most likely be sharing a conversation with another guest about their journey towards finding something real. And if you're on Instagram, please come find me. On Fridays, I share Instagram Live podcast recaps at 11.45 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you're over there on the gram, you can join me for some fun live awkwardness. (laughs) And finally, if you're someone who was encouraged by today's podcast and you have friends who would benefit from hearing the story shared here, would you go ahead and share? You can do that by hitting subscribe, leaving a review, or sharing a link. Your telling others about this podcast helps bring other people along. And finally, just so you know, if you only remember one thing about this podcast, I hope it is this. No matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus Christ loves you, and a real relationship with Him is a treasure trove of restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. He's offering that gift to you today. I pray you believe it.